welcome to Library Fugitives, a support group for people who get lost in the stacks. I'm Molly. And I'm Lindsay. And every episode, we let the Encyclopedia pick our books. This week, I'll be talking about Cinder by Marissa Meyer. And this week, I will be talking about the entire Animorph series by K.A. Applegate. Oh, God, pray for me, you guys. I don't know. It really, I only go into detail about the first book, but we do kind of an overview, sort of. Okay, well, let's dive on in. Okay, so here we go. All right, time to launch in for season two. Technically, we're recording this first, but we got turned around a little bit, so (laughs) this episode will technically be coming out after our, uh, both the book and movie side, so. Yeah, so... Because we both kind of got caught up in the whole YA sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I was so... like, hey, which one are we doing next? Because you're the one with the computer and all the, and all the recordings. And okay. You can also access the podcast online. And it does, in fact, say in the last podcast before our Christmas episode that we were going to be doing the book and movie sucked. Anyway. Let's get started, shall we? I was being lighthearted and funny, and now I think you had some real deep-seated anger issues with me underneath that, because that felt not even passive-aggressive. That felt aggressive-aggressive. And I picked that up, listeners. That felt aggressive. <laughs> anyway. Okay. As Lindsay and I work out our issues. Yeah, we're going to go to couples counseling. Fine. <laughs> and I do want to let the listeners know. I had COVID over a year ago, so I will sometimes randomly start coughing if I get too excited or too happy. I do not currently have the Rona, nor am I currently sick. I would not be here if she did. I would be like, no, plague, staying away. So, So, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As always, I have a bit of backstory for you listeners, because we know... It's not a podcast episode if I don't get backstory. <laughs> Hi, Gidget. Hi. You're Hello. interrupting my segment. I love but you. But now, since the listeners have, you know, heard our blooper episode, hopefully, they, they know that she's <laughs> in here all the time. Oh, literally. She'll just come. I had my, uh, like, computer flipped into a tablet laying on the ground. She just kept walking over it, stepping over it. Like, yep. just, like okay. No. she She's not a cuddle bug, but she's attracted to other people speaking. Yeah. It's weird. Mm-hmm. She said, oh, obviously, I'm in pussy, and now so, she's walking in front of my tablet again. Scooch, baby. I gotta, I gotta go. Come here. Come here. She said, no, I don't want you, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently this is the Gidget show now. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. No, Lindsay. She was like, fine, I'll go behind you. I'm <laughs> back in front of you, because I'm a smart ass. Oh, my God. This Anyways, cat. back to the fact that I always have to have a backstory for you guys, because that's just something that I have to do. Um, it's not really a backstory for the book, at least not this first bit. Um, but this is for choosing the book that I was going to read for this episode. Uh, you see, after the many twists and turns that led to our little break before season two um our reminder that the next episode would center on sci-fi fell by the wayside at least when we thought it was going to center around (laughs) sci-fi we knew it was coming we knew there were the two topics yes we knew we had the two topics but again we remind you that the holidays were kind of hectic for both of us oh god it was horrible so anyways (laughs) 
the whole idea, we're just like, oh, I guess. Um, so, now, I'm more of a fantasy girl myself, and um, some of you might be saying that the, since the two genres are often grouped together, it shouldn't be that hard for me to find a book. To that I say, what the fuck is wrong with you? Fantasy <laughs> is not sci-fi. Fantasy is magic and creatures and all things. Sci-fi is futuristic, often dystopias, like there's aliens, be aliens technologies. That is sci-fi. And anybody... And I'm looking at all of the chain bookstores like Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and anybody else. It's like, we're going to put them together. We are you, calling you out on your BS. That is wrong, and you should feel ashamed of yourself. If it's you individual listeners, we're not calling you out as much on a mass scale. You're just saying what you've seen in the bookstores. Exactly. Bookstores you know? and, you know, libraries used to be sorted by genre. Mm -hmm. And you, working at the library, you can see that sometimes where you'll still see the stickers the on stickers, the spines. Uh, which is actually kind of helpful still. Like, now that um, all of, like, the fiction is mixed together. Yeah. You can see, oh, this one is a romance book. If you can't tell by, like, an illustration on the Bible. Well, I was going to say, the, the, the curlicue writing on the binding. Yeah. But, so... There are still stickers out there. So we're not calling out you individual listeners. We're calling out the chains and the libraries that should know better. Well, our city library knows better. Now. <laughs> they used to not. Uh, and so not only was it sci-fi, and I'm more of a fantasy person, but it was YA sci-fi. Yeah. So I was like, what am I going to do? So... I luckily had the entire Lunar Chronicles series by Marissa Meyer on my shelf. Uh, so I was like, cool, that sounds great. I, was, <laughs> I locked it in in my head. And then Molly and I were texting one day, and she's like, oh, I know what book I'm going to do for the sci-fi episode. Cinder! And, um, listen... <laughs> <laughs> I pride myself on learning how to roll with the punches. Uh, my life has gone up and down for quite a while, different areas. Um, so... But I was uh, very thankful that I did not <laughs> have to cover disappointment in my tone of voice <laughs> or in my facial expression since we were talking over text. Um, because I texted back, it's, yeah, that's fine. Uh, cool. And something along those lines. Uh, basically, if you picture Ross from that one episode of Friends uh, where he's like drunk and being like, it's uh, you'll have a good idea of where I was at in my room when Molly was texting me. So, uh, and that's really a saying something that I even make that comparison at all because Ross is literally one of my least favorite characters. And um, we could do a whole episode because I'm sure there has to be friends novelizations or something out there. Something. Ugh. Honestly, I've watched a few episodes. Don't like it. I honestly don't like TV comedies at all, period. Mm -hmm. It's just it, too much secondhand embarrassment. The jokes are usually, you know, really not that funny. Really not that funny based on the laugh tracks. And also with Friends, particularly, a lot of their jokes, when you look at it now, like, people are realizing that they've always been offensive, but they're just able to see it better now. Yeah. You know, like, a lot of it was fat phobic or homophobic or a lot of the things. And you're just like, <sighs> yeah, okay. Anyway. Back on track. Back on track to the Lunar Chronicles. Um, I waited for a week or so. Week or so. I was trying to figure out, okay, what's something that I have that I can that I could conceivably care enough and put enough energy into to do this episode. And I came up with nothing. Um, so then I straight up like <laughs> I told Molly, I was like, listen, um, I don't have any other YA sci-fi. Um, so maybe I can do the second book in the series, and then we could just kind of do it that way and then i was staring at my bookshelf 
and I was looking at Goodreads, and I was going through different things, and I was going to do one series, which is um, or I was, the first book in the series I was going to do, which is um, Forget Tomorrow by Pintip Dunn, which we will still be doing that at some point. Um, but I was going through lists on Goodreads, and I had a thought. And we will get to that thought in my section, but we're going to go back to Lindsay. Yes. So Molly graciously <laughs> stepped aside. <laughs> Which, after her anger today, I'm thinking, maybe it wasn't so gracious. And maybe she was holding on to some stuff against me. No, it was very gracious. Yeah, yeah. Pat yourself on the back. You're going to pull a muscle. Anyways. uh, (laughs) (laughs) On to the book itself. I first read Cinder in middle school, actually. And I remember seeing the cover before I was reading it. And I I was far enough away that I didn't notice the cyborg-like overlay that was supposed to be showing through quote-unquote, the skin. So I just saw, like, a foot and a red high heel, and I'm like, that's a little... Okay, that's interesting. And so I pick it up, and I'm like, Cinder, that's weird. And I realized it was, you know, a fairy tale retelling, but with a sci-fi Which lens. is, like, your thing. Yeah. That's, like, literally, fairy tale retellings. Even in my, I'm not like other girls' phase, <laughs> which went on for way too long. Um, even back then, I was like, I could not get enough of that stuff. That was my, if you had asked what my guilty pleasure in that phase was, it would have been fairy tale retellings. Okay, so fairy tale, fairy tales retold is actually a thing on our wheel, and I just figured out what book I'm going to do for that, should we ever do that. I'm going to go make a note of it, you keep talking. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, so I've always loved it, even when I pretended I didn't, the idea of taking the classic stories and retelling them um it like it was just so good and for any of those unfamiliar with the specific premise of cinder by marissa meyer um we can get into like a basic summary that's probably just gonna end up me being uh shamelessly reading straight from the blurb (laughs) on the back cover so uh let's go humans and androids crowd the raucous streets of new beijing a deadly plague ravages the population From space, a ruthless lunar people watch, waiting to make their move. No one knows that Earth's fate hinges on one girl. 16-year-old Cinder, a gifted mechanic, is a cyborg. She's a second-class citizen with a mysterious past and is reviled by her stepmother. But when her life becomes intertwined with the handsome Prince Kai's, she suddenly finds herself at the center of an intergalactic struggle and a forbidden attraction. Dun-dun-dun! Caught between duty and freedom, loyalty and betrayal, she must uncover secrets about her past in order to protect her world's future. Because there is something unusual about Cindy. Something that others would kill for. Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) (laughs) And if that's not enough to get you hooked, I don't know what is. Uh, There's a reason that she and I both own this book. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's it, it, like just the dramatics of it. It's like, okay, I'm hooked. Um, I actually listened to it on an audiobook at work. I actually haven't physically opened the book. so. <laughs> now that should tell you something. If people can both like it as a physical book and other people can enjoy it as an audiobook, you know you've got a good story on your hands. And a really good narrator. And a really good narrator. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Y'all have already heard that in my uh, in the book and movie sucked uh, <laughs> last week. But on to the rest of my review for Cinder. And beware, spoilers abound from this point on. So if you are like, you said something that was a spoiler, well, it's your own fault because you kept listening. So, you know, said with love. <laughs> uh, 
Now, Cinder is a teenager who's working as a mechanic to support her family. Um, although that term may be an exaggeration. Family, that is, not mechanic, because her family really sucks. Mm -hmm. uh, her stepmother and oldest stepsister treat her more like hired help uh, than the adopted child of uh, their of her late guardian, uh, who's called Lynn Garan, Garan I think. Um, and since it's based in the world of New Beijing, this is very heavily influenced by, um, like, Chinese culture as well. So, like, that's why, like, last names would come first mm -hmm. in this situation. Um, so, while Cinder works at her mechanics booth in the market, we learn a few important things that set up large portions of the plot for the rest of the book. One, Cinder has a mechanical foot that needs replacing as her current one is several sizes and years too small. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, so, little side road. Um, one time when my family was on a trip to D.C. when I was about nine years old, um, for my sister's orchestra was doing like a field trip there to play somewhere. And so my family went up and we were just exploring. And I'm walking around and I'm telling my parents, my feet hurt, my feet hurt. And finally they're like, well, what, what's making him hurt? I'm like, I don't know. My shoes just hurt my feet. And so then finally my mom's like, fine, we'll take you into the store at the mall and get you new shoes. And they take off the shoes and like get the, you know how like, the especially back then they would board, like measure yeah. just to make sure. And they're like, your shoes are like a size and a half too small. <laughs> so just, no wonder your feet hurt. <laughs> really? So just imagine if it was actually like that, but for Cinder and for years, that would just be the absolute worst. Ouch. Mm -hmm. Like I did ballet and my feet are just like, mm, ouch. Yeah. Uh, so a second plot point that gets set up is society does not look very kindly on cyborgs. Um, however willingly they entered into such modifications. So, like, for some people, they, you know, did it because they wanted to, but for a lot of the cyborgs, they did it because they were in some horrible, life-altering accident and needed to take on the, like, cyborg interface or specific body parts in order to continue to be able to either function or even survive to a certain extent. So, like, people being like, oh, look at you, living. The audacity. <laughs> Just, yeah, obviously that's a no in this world. Uh, and in Cinder's case, she doesn't even remember because her guardian, um, I think I'm going to say, do you think Garan or Garan? I don't know. I honestly can't remember what they used in the audiobook. Okay. I'm going to go Garan. That sounds better. That sounds more like a name. But if I'm mispronouncing it, I apologize because Garan had Cinder, um, and he had her with the procedure when she was little to save her life from injuries. So she doesn't even have a concept of what her life was like before the surgery. And three, their world in New Beijing is on the precipice because their current Emperor Raikan is sick with the plague. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so enter our love interest, Crown Prince Kai. He quite literally drops a very old model android, a robot, not the phone, <laughs> onto Cinder's table, startling her into banging her head on the underside of said table. Uh, <laughs> they have a bit of flirty exchange, at least on Kaizen. Cinder doesn't really quite know how to respond, um, and she's also trying to hide the fact that she just popped off her old broken foot 
she's hiding her leg beneath the table. Um, Standing on one foot. Yeah, it's it was wild. So she's like, I'm just going to focus on your android. Um, <laughs> when asked why it needs fixing, Kai's first response was saying, it's a matter of intergalactic security. Before quickly backtracking and saying, <laughs> it was just a joke. <laughs> um, still, Cinder, like readers, can't shake the suspicion, even after Kai leaves her with the android, uh, her own android, too, named Aiko, comes up. Um, Aiko is, uh, she's a personality. I love her. She's so fun. <laughs> she's openly flustered with the Crown Prince's visit. She tries to flirt with him, and it's so funny. <laughs> After avoiding a plague scare from a neighboring merchant, Cinder and Aiko go home, where Cinder's stepsisters are being fitted with new dresses for the upcoming ball. And her stepmother, Adri, says that Cinder can go if she fixes a broken part on their hover car. Cinder knows this is a delaying tactic, uh, but Aiko and Cinder's youngest stepsister, Peony, are excited, volunteering to go out that night to the scrapyard to find a replacement part. While there, Peony shows signs of letumosis, which is their world's version of a plague, and forces Cinder to run away before the health authorities come to take Peony in. Um, is it Peony? I say Peony. I, I, I honestly, Peony. again, can't remember. I've always said Peony, but that also might just be like a locality. So I'm going to keep saying it, and I know people are going to be laughing and be like, it's Peony. Just stop. Uh, <laughs> Adri... Of course, like most things, takes out her disappearance on Cinder uh, and literally personally volunteers, <coughs> forces Cinder to join the cyborg draft to be tested for potential treatments for Letumosis. What a bitch move! Oh my god! It's like, oh yeah, you're technically my servant and not a full person, so you have no bodily autonomy. <laughs> huge metaphor there for lots of things oh so much so much like like especially when it comes from the idea of the guardian who does not care for their mm -hmm. charge making decisions about their charge's body and their freedom and their well-being and their safety when they just don't actually give two shits yep they just care about their reputation yep and uh, if you know what we're talking about, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Meanwhile, Crown Prince Kai is dealing with his own issues involving the ambassadors from the Lunars, who are the uh, kingdom in space that have been posing vague threats to the whole world for, like, years. They're just like, we're watching you. <laughs> and it's like, we have nukes. That's it. That's all I'm, I'm going to say. I mean... <laughs> Again! More metaphors. Friendly veiled metaphors. So much. Um, the ambassadors from Lunar are manipulative, and Kai has to hold himself back from saying something that would constitute a challenge of war on top of periodically checking on his ailing father. Because, you know, the Emperor is still clinging to life despite struggling with letumosis. Uh, literally has an entire team of scientists working around the clock to try and find a cure so that he can survive. And once they find the cure for him, they'll be able to, like, multiply it and distribute it so that it's no longer a thing. Yep. Now, remember, this is back in, like, years ago. Like, at least ten years ago. I'm looking at when this came out. 2012. So, 11 years ago, 
this came out and like it's still a thing where like there's always going to be health scares there's going to be widespread panic over things there's going to be people trying to find cures so it's <coughs> covid <coughs> yeah uh i'm pretty sure we both have people in our lives either friends or family to some extent that are very conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. about the whole thing we're, we're just gonna keep skipping over that we're, we're just gonna go yeah. on to the next part of Lindsay's. anyways summary uh but they are still working to try and find the cure haven't had much luck yet uh which brings us back to cinder uh, having been taken to the Royal Lab, Cinder is brought back to consciousness to begin the tests. Uh, Dr. Erland, who is the lead scientist, determines that Cinder is composed of 36.8 cyborg materials, making her only 63.2% human. Something Cinder has a uh, breakdown over. Understandable. She's like, <laughs> like, I knew parts of it, like, to realize that um, I'm, like, only two-thirds human is a little... A little bit of an existential crisis. Um, I I would probably react the same. Um, <laughs> upon being injected with the small container of leguminosis, Cinder shocks Dr. Erlen's team when the microbes carrying the plague disappear from their scans without her having been injected with the attempted treatment, like, at all. Mm-hmm. So, they're like, um, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Erlen finally comes in through their little, like, separated, like, window wall thing um, to talk to Cinder in person. And she attempts to attack him. <laughs> um, she, like, grabs a wrench out of a, like, cavity in her fake, in her, like, prosthetic leg. And she's like, I'm gonna get him. Uh, but then she looks at him and she's overcome with the sudden thought that he's a completely harmless old man. This activates the orange light sensor in the corner of her vision, which usually indicates that a person has made some sort of movement, breathing, blink, some thing to indicate that they are lying. So, yeah, she's literally a freaking lie detector. So, keep that in the back of your mind. What might he be lying about when he didn't even say anything to her, but she's like, he's a harmless old man. Why does that sound like a lie? Um, something to keep in the back of the old brain there. Uh, but back to what Cinder finds even more shocking than that, she's also immune to leudemosis. Uh, Dr. Erland does not share exactly what his theories are surrounding the reason for her immunity, but his curiosity is enough for him to agree to Cinder's provisions for moving forward, for her staying with the experiment and being examined. She's like, listen, if I'm going to keep doing this, I have some ground rules. First, she wants to be able to leave whenever she wants. Second, the money that the government gives to all the subjects that are a part of the experiment will be deposited directly into a separate account that her stepmother can't access. And third, her sister Peony will be the next person after the emperor to receive a cure, given that they're actually able to come up with one. So she knows her stuff. She's like, listen, I'm your only hope. Here's my uh, terms and conditions. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) Dr. Erlen discovers that Cinder has no memories of what happened before her cyborg surgery and no idea what caused the injuries that required such a drastic action. He does, however, attempt something on the wiring in her nervous system that has her collapsing on the floor. Perfect timing because Kai walks in to speak with Dr. Erlen about the progress of the overall search for a cure. Uh, Dr. Erlen deftly lies to Kai, something Cinder finds disconcerting, but goes along with. Um, 
she's like, he's the prince, you shouldn't be lying to him, but also I don't want him to know I'm a cyborg. <clears throat> yep. And so she gets extra flustered when Kai pays special care to her. He's like, are you okay? And like, you know, like <laughs> helping hold her up and do all the things. But after she like covers by falling back on like a business-like tone, she assures him she will fix his android as soon as possible. And um, he does seem a bit preoccupied, so, you know, he kind of, like, quickly gets over the seeming rejection. Um, even <laughs> the, She feels, it's, like, kind of a rejection, but also not. But to be fair, he's got a lot of shit going on, man. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, well, we don't really know exactly what he's preoccupied with. Um, we have guesses, but like Cinder, we're not 100% sure. So when Cinder returns home, uh, much to Adri's displeasure, uh, she tells Aiko that she's still going to fix the car, uh, but she also lets Aiko know that it's not for Adri. It's so that Cinder and Aiko can escape. And um, when she receives a comm that Peony has entered the next to last stage of Lodomosis and goes to visit her, she tells her that she's working with the scientist on a cure so that Peony will be one of the first to get it. But her sister seems a little more concerned with her, like, growing friendship with Prince Kai. And let's be real, if a famous person was hanging out with my friend, even if I was in the hospital, holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, I don't care. Uh, I don't care that I'm sick. You, you tell me about the celebrity. <laughs> After leaving the medical wing, she runs into Kai who receives a concerning amount of condolences before Cinder realizes his father, Emperor Raikan, has succumbed to the plague and died. Uh, she, of course, stumbles over an apology, and he says he has more pressing things at hand, uh, which includes the sudden impending visit from Lunar's queen, Lavana. Lavana has waited until now, with New Beijing and Kai at their most vulnerable after the death of the Emperor, um, which is something that both he and Cinder are aware of, but don't speak much of, because you know, spies. Yeah. But they're like, we know. (laughs) Uh, Cinder, too, is in for a shock when Dr. Erland informs her that many Lunars have come to Earth over time to escape from Lavana's oppressive regime. Lunars have the special ability to manipulate bioelectricity to trick others into seeing or thinking what they want, a glamour of sorts, one that Lavana is famous for using to change her appearance into a stunningly beautiful one. So, space fairies. Pretty much. Uh, but the power does has its drawbacks, or as Rumpelstiltskin would say in Once Upon a Time, all magic has, <laughs> has a price. price. <laughs> uh, in this case, the price is not being able to transmit over technology and also the danger of being sensed by other lunars, which is when Cinder receives the biggest shock of her life. She is, in fact, wait for it. A lunar herself sent to Earth as a child to escape Lavana. Fun. Yeah. So not only does she not remember her past, but it turns out her past is really dangerous and she's kind of a fugitive. <laughs> cool, not cool. Uh, still reeling from that little shocker, Cinder finally... <coughs> you good? Yep. Cinder finally fixes Kai's android with Aiko's help and finds out that he actually wasn't joking about national security when they first <laughs> met. Um, it turns out that Kai was researching sensitive information pertaining to Lunars and Lavana's ascension to the throne, which involved lots of manipulation and um, maybe murder? 
not maybe murder, definitely murder, um, including that of her sister's daughter, her own niece. So she's like, mm, I don't care that you're a child. It's like that, but what would you do if there was a child right in front of you? Boosh! That's Levana. Um, <laughs> it's wild. Kai, of course, has been struggling as well, as he has to suddenly welcome Levana to New Beijing. Levana, of course, immediately attempts to glamour Kai into a hazy loyalty that he uh, fights back against in his mind. He's like, you're not going to catch me today. Not doing that. Um, she covers his, her thoughts about his ability to deny her, and she goes to address the public. Unfortunately, Cinder has come back to the palace to return Kai's android, and Levana sees her in the crowd, um, immediately picking her out as a lunar fugitive. <laughs> Levana uses this to leverage more control from Kai and then tests him like the manipulative bitch she is by pretending that a servant tried to insult her at dinner for which Kai takes the blame to keep the servant from being killed. So she knows exactly how far he's willing to go, how much he's willing to give up to protect his people. And that's scary. (laughs) (laughs) He is then given a choice agree to marry Levana and receive a cure for Ledumosis, or deny her proposal and plunge the world back into war with the Lunars. Uh, he kind of battles with himself over this. Uh, he talks to Cinder and asks what she would do, and uh, hold on, let me just read this bit from the book. Her breath snagged as Kai leaned forward so close she was sure for a heartbeat that he meant to kiss her. She froze, a wave of panic crashing into her, and barely managed to look up. Instead of kissing her, he whispered, Imagine there was a cure, but finding it would cost you everything. It would completely ruin your life. What would you do? The warm air enclosed her, so close she could catch a faint soapy smell coming from him. His eyes bored into hers, waiting, a tinge desperate. Cinder wet her mouth. Ruin my life? To save a million others? It's not much of a choice. His lips parted. She had no choice but to look at them, and then immediately back into his eyes. She could almost count the black lashes around them. But then a sadness filtered into his gaze. You're right. There's no real choice. Cinder! Girl! Bless your heart, but... Are you... What the hell are you thinking? Are you dumb? Are you literally so dumb that you can't see past your fluttery little feelings in your tummy to realize that he's not actually talking about you? (laughs) Like, God (laughs) Oh, gosh. Now that I've had a breakdown over another character being oblivious, um... (laughs) Let's get back to the story. Uh, After this, he does invite her to the ball again, and she hesitates, unsure of what she would be risking by going before Levana again. And then Kai still has to come to a decision about Levana. Save the world by sacrificing himself, or plunge it back into war. Which is where I'm gonna leave you. (laughs) Of course, we love a cliffhanger here. As always. (laughs) So... You really get more of a sense of the sci-fi aspects when reading the book, um, but I'm not scientifically minded, so I didn't want to screw it all up in recounting it. Uh, But just the concept from it, it is sci-fi, so I hope when you guys read it, you enjoy it for that aspect, if that's something you're interested in. Um, And still, like, as a way of bringing fairy tales into the futuristic genre, The Lunar Chronicles is about as good as it gets, in my opinion. Um, At least in, like, the young adult vein of literature, 
We'll see yeah. about other options if that episode ever comes up on the Encyclopedia. Well, I mean, we've got a hundred options. We've done what eight, nine of them. Yeah, if we're not counting the specific topics that we chose for our special episodes. Yeah. So, well, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Leaving it on that cliffhanger. Yeah. That's a choice. It is a choice. Because <laughs> I want to have... And I didn't even talk about every plot point. Cause, oh, know, no. You want to leave something for the people reading the book. Yeah. So. All right. So I am going to start with Animorphs by K.A. Applegate. Now, we are... I am going to do, like, kind of an overview of the series towards the end. Um, but we are... The summary itself is going to be focusing on book one, The Invasion. Um, so unfortunately sci-fi is like not really in my wheelhouse. So when I let Lindsay do Cinder, um, I'm like sitting there staring at my bookshelves and I couldn't figure out what to do. I did offer to do the second book in the series. I know. Just saying. (laughs) Um, so again, I was looking at Goodreads for lists of YA sci-fi And it was all, I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is all dystopian. This isn't sci-fi. It's not, it's not. It's Earth, but different. Like, it's just, there's no aliens, really. And it it just was frustrating me. Um, Again, the closest I came to actually choosing one off my shelf was Forget Tomorrow by Pintip Dunn. And oh, we're covering that one. Um, But then I had a thought, which is, you know, dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I stuck my head into my brother slash roommate's room and asked, would you consider Animorphs to be sci-fi? And the look he gave me. (laughs) They're totally sci-fi. Who's telling you they're not sci-fi? Direct quote there. Uh, He grew up on a steady diet of Animorphs and cryptid books, so I figured he had been the best one to ask. Yeah. Um... Animorphs are what I would consider the granddaddy of YA sci-fi. Oh, for sure. (laughs) They were being written at a time when the idea of young adult fiction was just beginning to be a thing. They were sold at elementary, middle school, scholastic book fairs, but I always saw them in the teen section of my brand new library that just went up near my house. Which, oh my god, I'm just now remembering is in 2013. Or no, I'm sorry, not 2013, 2003. God, I'm old. (laughs) anyway like i said they were never really my idea of a fun read so i decided i was going to give them a shot which was a good idea except i could not find these books anywhere uh (laughs) the library only had the graphic novels which you know can sometimes differ wildly from the original stories i could really only find the books on ebay for 11 dollars a pop which is just It's not affordable for a book I'm going to read once, you know? But then, through the magic of Tumblr, which don't knock it, y'all, Tumblr's amazing, I found something out. K.A. Applegate, the author, had issued a blanket statement specifically allowing folks to pirate her books. We do not take them down, she says, or ask for them to be taken down. I think once the books are available to buy, paper or e, it would be nice if people who could afford it would buy. She goes on. But for years, they've been unavailable except by pirated means. These men and women kept the series alive. They kept the books available. So no, 
We did not take these books down. That post also had a link to Reddit where there was a zip file of every single Animorphs book, including like all the sub books and extras and all that jazz. Um, After much stress and fighting with my ancient laptop and my tablet, uh, I finally got them onto my Kindle library. All of them. For the sake of my sanity, we're only going to go into detail about the first book, like I said earlier. Thank you. Um, But I am, like I said, going to give a series overview after, in case anyone wants to avoid spoilers, that is where most of them will be. A question, at any point in this, do you talk about the cover art? Because if you don't, we need to talk about it right now. We will talk about the cover art towards the end, because there's some seriously messed up shit that that I'm going to go over at the end. We're going to go over it. (laughs) So the first book, The Invasion, opens from the point of view of Jake, um, which... These books are written in first person, which is another thing that is hard for me. First person books, I can really only handle like in diary slash journal form. Any other kind of first person is just like, I really, I I try. I really do try, but I can't do it. Um, But Jake is going to become the unofficial slash official leader of the Animorphs. He and his friend Marco are hanging out at the mall arcade, which if anything dates this series is that. Linz, do you even know what a mall arcade is? It's an arcade in a mall. Yes, but do we have them anymore? We don't have them anymore, but we used to when I was young. Uh-huh. I remember going to them as a teenager. Shortly thereafter, they are joined by social outcast Tobias, then Jake's cousin Rachel and her friend Cassie, who Jake has a massive crush on. They decide to take the forbidden shortcut home through a construction site. Everything is fine and dandy until an alien spaceship nearly crash lands on them. Uh, The being that steps out is like something they've never seen before. Jake describes it as a man cloned with a deer. Essentially, the alien is a blue centaur, but with three vertical slits for a mouth, two extra eyes on the ends of horn slash antenna, and a scorpion-like tail with a blade instead of a singer. Oh, you just made the monster. Oh, <laughs> well, but see, that was another thing my brother and I discussed is this is true sci-fi. Yeah. You know? It's a little off-putting when you consider it. I know. <laughs> um, not, I'm, not the actual books, but when you consider the content and the description and the visuals of the books and you really truly think about what this Oh, we're going to get it. Like. We're going to get into that. Um Unfortunately, this alien is dying. He tells the kids that he's from a race called Andalites and that Earth is under attack by another race called the Yurks, which are basically slug creatures that invade humans' brains and take control of them. Hmm. As he dies, their alien gives them the power to morph into animals, though he is adamant that they not stay changed for more than two hours or the change could become permanent. The leader of the Yurks, controlling the body of an Andalite, and therefore the only uh, Yurk who can morph, named Visser Three, steps off his, sh- his ship, confronting the dying Andalite, who we learn then is a prince of his people. Okay. He draws the Visser into conversation to give the kids information about the Yurks' plans. Then, Visser Three eats the dying prince. And it... it mm, this is considered YA fiction, y'all, and it 
it's just, further proof of that thing of like if it's written by a woman it'll be considered YA but if it was written by a man it would not. No, no. These are written for kids and I'm going to get into that later. But it's it's graphic. It's not it it mm. well that's the point is the idea of things can be so super graphic and really truly not appropriate for kids but they are written and published and marketed to kids doesn't mean it's actually content that's well again i'm going to get into that at the end of this um the kids break and run but not before jake almost recognizes one of the voices of a controlled human he manages to evade the aliens hunting him but only by sacrificing a homeless guy or at least that's what's heavily implied all the kids make it out okay and the next morning tobias shows up at jake's house super excited because he did it he morphed into his cat. To prove it, he morphs directly in front of Jake. But the boys discover a problem. <laughs> when you take the shape of an animal, your brain becomes like that animal. You have to concentrate to keep your human thoughts. Jake tests this by turning into his dog. Once he turns back, he and Tobias agree to meet the others at Cassie's parents' farm. And now we officially meet Jake's brother, Tom. Jake tells us that normally Tom would be the first person he'd tell about this, but over the last year, Tom has changed. He's quit basketball, which was his life, and joined this club called The Sharing. Which, you know, even if I hadn't read the book, screams cold to me. Yeah. The Sharing. Jake nopes out and then heads to Cassie's. Both her parents are vets, and they have a wildlife rehab center at their house. Um, from that, I can take a wild guess and say that this is where they're going to take a lot of their DNA of the animals from so that they can morph into them. A police officer, who's a controller, comes to ask the kids about a group of teens seen playing with fireworks at the construction site the night before. The kids evade, and we learn that not only is Cassie a quote-unquote natural shifter, but that skin-tight clothes like leotards can make the shift with them. So they don't always have to wind up naked. The kids decide to wait a bit to try and figure out what they're going to do. Fight to save the world, tell an adult that could possibly be a controller, or do nothing. They're just kids. They split up, Jake and Marco going to Jake's house to play video games. Tom comes in, asking the same sort of questions the cop had, and Marco has a revelation. Tom is a controller. Obviously, Jake gets a little bit pissed at this. He and Marco fight, but Jake still isn't totally convinced that his brother's a controller. Their fight is only well and truly stopped by Tobias rapping on the window in the form of a red-tailed hawk. He tells them he's been out searching for a yerk pole, pool, excuse me, a place where yerks have to go every three days to recharge outside of their hosts. They especially need Candrona rays, which are like the rays of the yerk's own sun. The kids think that this group, the sharing, is some kind of yerk meetup, and they're right. Tom, the real Tom, tries to warn Jake not to become a full member of the sharing before the yerk takes his brain back over. That's what finally convinces Jake. He turns back into his dog and goes to watch a secret meeting of the full members, where Jake learns that their assistant principal is also a controller. Marco doesn't want anything to do with this morphing thing. But the others decide to do something. Jake asks Cassie if she knows of any animal he can use to spy with, and he winds up as a green anole, which is a little itty-bitty lizard. 
think the Geico Gecko. He managed to do that whole lizard tail thing where they leave it behind to escape a shoe. Um, and he follows after Assistant Principal Chapman. They f he follows him into a janitor's closet and discovers that a yerk pool is actually underneath the school. The kids meet up at the mall after school and decide they need to go down to the pool tonight and fight for Tom. Even Marco agrees. You gotta get your friends out of cults. <laughs> you have to. You are you are obligated. If you know your friend is in a cult, it might not be an alien cult. Um, but, but you, you gotta try. You gotta try, and it might not work. But hopefully, it doesn't. And case. honestly, I'm gonna come out and say this right now: multi-level marketing groups are cults. Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. I'm not calling out anyone specific, but they're cults. They manipulate people. Cassie mentions that what they're doing is kind of like what the ancients did. Ask the spirit of an animal for their skills. The kids are just turning into the animals instead. They decide to go to the zoo where Cassie's mom works to obtain DNA from some more powerful animals. And Marco finally gives them a name. The Animorphs. Of course it's the one that wasn't into it at first. That's gonna be the one that's coming up with He's also the one who basically says, Jake, you're the leader. It's <laughs> They go to the zoo, and Jake uh, picks up a Siberian tiger morph while Marco gets a silverback gorilla. We don't know what everyone else picks. When Jake calls to tell everybody Tom is on his way to the pool, he finds out that Cassie is missing. She's been kidnapped by the policeman controller. The other four follow Cassie and the policeman down to the pool, Tobias already in hawk form. They realize it's not just a pool down there, but a whole Yerk city with secret entrances all over town. Damn. The humans and aliens being controlled by Yerks are kept in cages while their parasites go for a little swim. But on the other side of the cavern, people who voluntarily allow the Yerks to take over them get to sit and watch TV while their partners recharge. Tom, thankfully, is in a cage but the cop is leading Cassie to the pool to get a yerk implant. Marco makes Jake promise to kill him rather than let a yerk take him over. Like, this is all happening all at once, which is why it's just random right there. And, uh, this is kids fiction. Sold in elementary schools. It shouldn't have been. Well, I mean, they're only 80 pages long, but anyway. Just as Marco and Jake are discovered, we learn what animal Rachel picked up at the zoo. An African elephant. She takes on the ones who found the boys, and then they morph, too. The three of them, elephant, tiger, and gorilla, oh my, tear through the aliens and no, breaking... right spot. So, the three of them, elephant, tiger, and gorilla, tear through the aliens and break the humans out of their cages. Tobias, up in the air, is the one who makes the dive to rescue Cassie, as Jake is too far away. She morphs into her horse form, and they almost get away. Of course she's a horse girl. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, her parents have a farm yeah. with horses. Anyway. Then the Visser comes out in his Andalite body, 
And he thinks the kids are Andalites, too, because Andalites are the only ones who can morph, you know. So he turns into a giant fucking fire demon. By the time the kids make it to the stairs, there's literally only a single human that they get free. Everyone else has been captured or set on fire. Who's the human? Unnamed woman who rode out on horse's back. Unfortunately, Tom was recaptured, and Cassie, or someone, killed the policeman, the only controller who knew who she was. Cassie, Marco, Rachel, and Jake all made it up the stairs. Tobias, he survived too. But unfortunately, he's now stuck as a hawk. He'd been in the form for more than two hours. Still, they fight on. Thus ends book one. Now, I do want to note a couple of things. Animorphs ended in May of 2001. K.A. Applegate had no idea what was coming. You know, because September 11th, you know, six months later, not even six months later, like four months later. But she wrote a series about the horrors and terror of war for a whole generation of kids. Not all of the main characters survive the series, despite morphing being able to heal wounds. Evil lives on. Love breaks. But as the author herself says, Animorphs was always a war story. Wars don't end happily. Not ever. So you don't like the way our little fictional war came out? Fine. Pretty soon, you'll all be of voting age and of draft age. So when someone proposes a war, remember that even the most necessary of wars... Even the rare wars where the lines of good and evil are clear and clean end with a lot of people dead, a lot of people crippled, and a lot of orphans, widows, and grieving parents. If you're mad at me because that's what you have to take away from Animorphs, too bad. I couldn't have written it any other way and remain true to the respect I have always felt for Animorphs readers. She was, like, not fucking around. She was saying and writing like this stuff before to you know what ha- all the shit show that happened at After the end 2001. of 2001 mm-hmm. uh, before the Hunger Games came out in 2008 and it blows my mind. So now we're going to get into the weird shit. So first of all, the book covers holy shit nightmare. <laughs> That's the one thing. When she said, okay, I, I've said a lot of animorphs, I'm like, oh, why? Because that's all I knew because I saw the book covers and they horrified me as a child yeah. and I never wanted to read the book. I've read testimony from people online where they're like, did anyone actually read the animorphs books or did they look at the cover, feel unsettled, and put it back down? And like, yeah, but here's some of the things you missed out on if you didn't read animorphs. Five children are forced to engage in guerrilla warfare, espionage, and repeated murder to protect their loved one from alien parasites as they wait for the other heroic aliens to finally arrive. When they do, the good aliens turn out to not give a shit about humans, cause the whole intergalactic war through their own shittiness, and are willing to exterminate whole planets themselves to get at their hated enemies. A child repeatedly experiences his intestines hanging out of his body while in various animal forms. A child is mentally tortured until broken and never gets better. 
A child in the form of a fly experiences getting splattered and smeared against the ceiling until his friends, who are also flies at the time, can peel his body off and take him somewhere where he can transform back into a whole human before his insect mind fades completely. A child is shrunken and experiences having her eyeballs digested out of her head inside her friend's stomach while she's in the form of a tiny elephant. The heroes are forced to permanently imprison another child in the body of a rat because he knows too much, and they abandon him on a tiny island with only other rats and garbage for company. Rumors circulate that the island is haunted, but it's actually his psychic screams reaching distant boaters. A race of devastatingly beautiful, a race of devastatingly powerful, violent aliens turn out to be mental toddlers who don't know what they're doing and are just bred to think they're playing one big game before they're killed at age three, so they don't learn the truth. An alien spends a few centuries hanging from the parasitic tentacle of a much bigger alien, surrounded by millions of rotting corpses attached to its other moon-spanning tendrils. They engage in mental warfare until one finally absorbs the other completely. It turns out another seemingly evil alien race is simply driven to kill and eat everything in sight because it was separated from its original world, where food was continuous and the entire species' life is the torture of perpetual starvation. A peaceful robot willingly removes its inhibition against violence to help with the war, only to slaughter a huge number of alien-controlled humans so gruesomely that nobody dares think about it or speak of it again, and is the only thing left undescribed in a book series that already describes entrails getting torn out and skulls getting smashed. A child stays too long in the form of a flea, and instead of turning back into a human, accidentally turns momentarily into one big giant flea that can only writhe and moan because it shouldn't exist and can't live at that scale. The kids discover Atlantis, then discover that Atlanteans are inbred mutants who paralyze any humans they find, dissect them alive to figure out how their organs work, then stuff the corpses as kitschy museum displays for their children. An ordinary ant gets transformed into a human child. It has no idea what's happening and is so overwhelmed by its huge new brain and sensory input that it can only scream until it dies. All of this is, like, legit. <laughs> I can't believe that my mother let my brother read these books in second and third grade. So that's Animorphs. Yeah, you're like, oh no, we're talking about... No, we need to legit talk about how the idea of... That, that sounds like a really compelling, fucked up story. I'm not saying like it's a bad story, but it's most definitely not. It should not have been for kids. The idea of that kids need to learn that war is atrocious can be done in other methods. The Last Airbender, for instance. Yeah. But it does it at an age-appropriate But level. also, you know, with Avatar, the good guys win in the end. Yeah. K.A. Applegate was talking about how the good guys don't always win at the end. Yeah, but, and, and I get it. I'm, I was just giving an example, but there, there could have, if that's the story that K.A. Applegate wanted to tell in that specific way, I'm not saying kids can't see good guys lose mm -hmm. i'm saying all of that content all of the fucked upness of uh -huh. it all makes it inappropriate for kids not the fact that the heroes lose yeah. not the fact that they have to fight there's a reason that they put it in the teen section at the library yeah so but that's why when i mentioned earlier and you said we would loop back to it the idea of you know the books that are clearly not appropriate for the age group based on all of the content but being marketed that way for, like, a younger age group than is appropriate 
simply because they're women. It's like one of the examples that... Well, that's, that's not what it is. K.A. Applegate did write these for children. The style that it's written in, the verbiage used, the only thing that is not targeted towards children... Is the entire content? Is the creepy content. But, you know, that that's just what it is. And I could, my brother and I will sit and talk about this for hours because it's, he's like, that was the first book series that really told me you don't have to have a happy ending to be a good book series. Because it, it leaves you just kind of open. There's no real end. It's just the last book. Um, but to end on a slightly better note, K.A. Applegate is pro-choice and the badass mom of a trans daughter. So. We love you know, if you can get them to download onto your freaking app or whatever, I say go ahead and read these books. And if you have the ability for when they are, you know, available to you to purchase to further, you know, help and fund and get money to, you know, directly to Applegate. Because, you know, their kids like to eat and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like if you have the ability and you can find a way to actually buy the book and have that money go directly to K.A. Applegate, do it. Because, like, just off of what she's willing to stand for and talk about and all of that, like, yeah, come on. <laughs> all right. So, on um, the heels of that, <laughs> it's, um, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. The Encyclopedia. Let's see if I can get it to spin slowly this time. <laughs> Or you mean quicker to like... Poetry. Oh, I'm ready. I am not. Oh, you can you can borrow some of mine if you need to. I, I don't know if I'll need to or not. But I... Mm, you know how I said at the beginning of this that, you know, sci-fi wasn't really in my wheelhouse? Neither is poetry. <sighs> I so. love... Well, and here's the thing. There's as many different kinds of poetry as there is poets. So there is going to be poems out there that you can enjoy. I'm going to try. So I, I think I might have a, a thought, but I'm going to try. Okay. Don't forget to look us up on social media. We have a Facebook, TikTok, Tumblr, and Instagram. Those are all at Library Fugitives. We also have an email, which is librayfugitivespodcast at gmail.com. And that's just for listener requests, questions you may have, or just to talk to us. Yeah. So remember, y'all, stay safe in the stacks out there. Bye. Bye.